Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. from Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Um, I will end the reading with, This is the word of the Lord, and you to respond with, Thanks be to God. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she couldn't hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and peach. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female servant to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew's babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, she go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became a son. She named it Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thank you, Owadi. And good morning, church. It's always wonderful to see God's people and to rejoice with them. We had, a, at least I had a blast um, going through the last series on Loving Lagos. Uh, so much exposure of a lot of what's underlying, you know, my thoughts and um, my actions and my reactions to this city. So that was very, very good in terms of reorientation. We've come to the end of, at least we are approaching the end of the year, Ember months, as uh, Dami said. And we're starting a, a new series, uh, our Advent series. At this point, uh, Christians globally, all around the world and from antiquity, um, think about what it means to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they do that by considering how uh, we, we were waiting, uh, the world as it were. And we, in our ancestors at that time, were waiting with bated breath for the one who would come and save us. And so in this series, we're going to be examining over a three-week period um, the births of several uh, fair children that came into the world and changed the way uh, the world uh, sort of operates, at least from God's perspective. So we'll be looking at uh, the birth of Moses, we'll be looking at the birth of Samuel, and of course we'll be looking at the birth of Jesus, and all from the Old uh, Testament. And so we're starting this week from uh, this week with um, the birth of Moses. And uh, we're going to be examining how God came to a particular generation of an oppressed nation. Israel has a fantastic history. If you've read your Bible or you, have, you know some things about the Bible, uh, great promises, great deliverers. And Moses is the first of that, uh, of, of those great deliverers. And he's the first prophet, you know, that we have, or the first great prophet that we have in the Bible. And so it is interesting to sort of see what his birth means for us and for the world. All right, and I'll be talking about his birth and its implications for us in sort of three, four-ish ways. Um, I'll be talking about saved at birth, 
saved for sending, and then saved by blood. All right. So, in Exodus 2, 1 to 10, uh, as we read, um, we see, we see uh, if you read it carefully, it's a bit troubling, right? Um, you know, mothers, mothers are, have you seen a new mother getting ready for the birth of a child? Have you, have you, have you witnessed the craziness, you know, that just happens, right? The, from decorating the house or the room uh, uh, to buying clothes, and it has to be, so for some, most people, gender-specific type of clothing to buy. There's just a lot that goes into, um, into getting ready for a child to come. And, and here we see a mother, her preparation uh, after her child comes, after her child has arrived, is that she takes a box or, you know, a basket, she puts some tar inside, um, sort of makes it comfortable so that it protects from the elements, puts her child in it, and then sends it down the river, or at least puts it at the bank of the river. And you're wondering what, what happens, what's, what's going on here? Why are we floating babies down uh, the river in Egypt, you know? And, um, and, and to, to understand that, you need to go a bit to the, uh, the previous chapter in Exodus chapter 1, verse 5. Verse 5. It says, the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, when they came, right, and when Joseph was already in Egypt, and Jacob and his family, 70 of them came as emigrants into the land of Egypt. Israel was fruitful. They multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers in fulfillment of God's promise to their ancestor, Abraham. The new pharaoh did not regard uh, Joseph and all of his service to Egypt. He stoked the Egyptians' fear, right, the fear of war, fear of betrayal, fear of economic loss. These people are going to eat our bread and uh, eat all the food in the land. And if we're in, war, in a war situation, they'll turn against us and they will, they will betray us. And so, like a lot of populists that we see today, they, 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 they inspire, uh, they bring out the worst instincts of their people. And so he made them and turned Joseph's descendants into slaves and forced laborers and appointed slave masters over them. Now, in spite of this uh, kind of oppression, um, in spite of this, Israel continues to thrive, continues to grow, and, and, and the king, this inspires greater fear, ruthless treatment, culminating in an order to midwives to sabotage uh, uh, Hebrew women when they are birthing. It tells the midwives to kill the baby boys. Any boy who's, who's uh, getting born, just kill them. The midwives, they disobey God because the Bible says they feared the Lord and let the boys live. They had, and they, you, have, you have to commend their, their bravery. They survive a confrontation with the king by telling some BS story about how Hebrew women are hardier than, than Egyptian women. And some people think that's actually true. No, it's not true, right? It just, God just gave them grace in front of uh, the king. And the king bought it, and, but the king, the king can't do anything. He can't be everywhere. He can't have his troops at every, uh, every place where uh, people are giving birth. So he, he turns to the people. So he, he tells them he cannot control the medical professionals and the people who are involved in birthing. So he tells everybody, friends and neighbors, you see a baby boy, what do you do? Throw it in the river. He conspires and takes every single member, every single citizen of that country and says, if you see a Hebrew boy, throw him in the river. And that reminds us of the terror of Rwanda, if you remember. Your neighbor, you know, somebody would announce uh, on the radio and say, um, those cockroaches, they're multiplying in Osaka, London, right? Those cockroaches, they're in Osaka. And they would say, you just come out and they'll kill the cockroaches. Their neighbors who were Hutsis or Tutsis, right? And for a man, a king, to inspire a nation to this kind of violence, you can understand that no way in that country was safe for a Hebrew person. 
people often wonder how this kinds of horror. The people wonder how, you know, you, you can't survive. It's just difficult to survive when every single person is employed by the state to bring destruction and death. Pharaoh gave this order to the people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. Let every girl live. And we see a parallel in the life of Jesus in Matthew 2, 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men who, you know, didn't come back again, very, very smart people. And he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from, you know, the stars or whatever. So this is the background for Moses' birth. Fear, enslavement, ruthless oppression. One that later on we learn lasted about 430 years. 430 years. Some people here think they know generation curse. They say, you know, we have, you know, my, my, my family or our nation or something like that. You think you know generation curse. 430 years of oppression. Right? In Genesis, uh, and, you know, and this is supposed to be, uh, this was as a result of something great that happened. Genesis 15, 13 to 14, uh, God said to Abraham, Know well that your offspring shall be strangers in a land that isn't theirs. They shall be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years, but I will execute judgment on the nation they shall serve, and in the end, they shall go free with great wealth. So they are oppressed. It looks like they're cursed, but it was prophesied. It was prophesied that this was going to happen. But if you are a Hebrew and seeing your children being thrown into the Nile River, being oppressed daily, you, will, you can be forgiven if you don't remember uh, the details of the... Um, of the, of the prophecy or the promise. All you just know is that you are suffering. So Moses is born. God has a mark on him. He's named a fair child. So his mother was impressed upon to do her utmost to save him. So the Bible says when she saw that he was a fair child. Acts 7.20 puts it this way. At the time Moses was born and he was, he was beautiful in God's sight. And so his mother brought him up three months in his father's house. They hid him. It was a danger to be in the house. Uh, because apparently people would go around, your neighbors would go around, your neighbors would see you, look into your window, and that would happen, and they would, they, they would, they would kill your child. And so he says, he was beautiful in God's, eye, in, in God's sight. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not a time to do a joke, but it always reminds me when we talk about a fair child, you know, you know when, when, when people, when women, when people give birth, when couples give birth, um, the child is beautiful in God's sight. We all agree, right? It's beautiful in God's sight. And it's also beautiful in the mother's sight. Right? For the rest of us, we're not always sure. Because let's be honest, uh, most children are born with a smushed face, you know. You know, some, some, some are born with distinct features and beautiful. And so let me give a little bit of coding for if you're a mother here and you give birth and you have friends over, this is how you can know whether they are really your friends. If they see your child and they say, my goodness, what a beautiful child. What a cute baby. You know your child is beautiful. And you people, the mothers are always listening. Yeah, you're always listening. If, if they come and they say, his eyebrows are like his father. <laughs> is that teeth coming out? Why is there no hair? They're questioning you about the baby. Just, your baby is not that fine. Hard to say, hard to say. It's a hard thing to say, but it's, it's the truth. So, don't, don't be angry, you know, expectations, well, that's real life, right? But in sight of God, you know, children are beautiful. But specifically, the Bible wasn't just talking about him being a physically beautiful child. It's a statement of grace that he, he found favor with God. He was fed, he was fed in, uh, in God's sight. God placed his grace upon this child. 
placed his grace upon this child and said, this child is going to do something great for the nation. This child is going to be a prophet. This child is going to be a deliverer. This child has a destiny that God is shaping and is sizing. And that's an incredible thing to, to happen. And so Moses' uh, mother, Jochebed, couldn't hide the child any mother anymore. And then we see what she did. Prepared a basket to protect against water. Placed him on the banks. And, and didn't just float him down the river. He placed him among the reeds. You know, like leaves that could sort of protect so that the child doesn't drift away too far. And then left his sister to watch over him to see how things develop. We see the care and concern that mothers uh, demonstrate. And any, 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 any community, any nation who pays attention to caring for children is one that actually knows the Lord. Caring for children shows our shared humanity, shows our sense of hope for a better world. We, we, if, if we didn't have any hope, we would not, why would we try, be caring for a child to live? And if you say a society that turns a blind eye to the vulnerable, to the oppression of children, to the killing of children, it is a society that is hopeless. It is a society that has given up for a better world. And that's something that we always have to address in our, in our community with the gospel. We cannot look, for, look out look and, find, and see the abandonment and oppression of children and not do something about it. So we see, on the one hand, the great hope for this nation. Uh, Moses, born as a baby, he himself is in peril. The deliverer is in peril. Deliverer is in peril. What are people going to do? If, 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 if. Uh, the people succeed in killing Moses. What would happen to the promise of God to deliver their people? Nigerians are often, um, I find that we're, we're a bit angry about our national history. We're a bit angry. And let me just, you know, we're, we're, we, we, we are, we're born with a sense of, I should have a destiny. I should have something that I'm aspiring to. I'm, 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 I have purpose, some form of purpose. And we get frustrated that sometimes our family histories don't always maybe support our goals and destinies. And then on top of that, we're, we're angry that our national history doesn't support you know, our goals, right? And so if you think about Nigeria's, uh, or at least West Africa, our 300 to 400 year arc from rivaling rival tribes to great kingdoms to a colonized region and then to an independent nation state and back to rival political tribes and then to a military hunter um, you know, you, the, what, what, you, what comes to your mind when you think of our history is helpless anger and disillusionment. In that history, we find brief periods of hope. Uh, and sometimes there's a united front amongst our leaders as to, you know, um, what we can do for national progress. We want to progress. We want, to, we want our lives to be better. But we seem to be stuck in some ways. Our parents will tell us of times when they used to deliver fresh milk to their house. Right? How many people have heard stories from your parents? You've heard stories like that. You know, they'll say, when we're in university, uh, the, 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 uh, the buttery, uh, this buttery that is called, I mean, uh, the buffet was, it was buffet and it was free. The test, and you are like, what are you, why are you, are you trying to depress me? Are you, wh why you, what? Yes, they, they got loans to buy cars and things like that. They tell us all these uh, fantastic stories. And, and we have all these stories about how people in our families went from hunters and farmers and tradesmen to entering colonial service, to becoming nurses and doctors, to working for the government, and then working maybe in multinationals. Almost every family in, in, in Nigeria has a story of a, a first, the first two. So who know, who has, whose father was the first person to study in their, in their, in their village? As you know, no? 
No, okay, so I'm a bit old. I'm finding out that most people here, their fathers could not be the first. All right. So some, some people's grandparents or their great-grandparents will tell you, ah, where, where my father was the first to go to school, was the first to enter this college, was the first to maybe go abroad, the first to work for a multinational and all those things. And I mean, in all those families, in all those families, um, people's, people's families become, people, family names become prominent. This name is known for banking. This name is known for business, for medicine, for the arts, engineering, all those things, right? And what that does is that almost all of us are born into families where there's an expectation of how great are you going to become? What is your own destiny? What is it that you are trying to achieve with your life? And we talked about how you know, progress is the overarching um, desire or motto for Lagos. But that's actually true for a lot of Nigeria. We're born into an environment where we're inspired by our parents to try and become something, to make a name for ourselves, to make our names great, to build on what our fathers have done. And that's where the anger comes from. That a family history, maybe your dad did not achieve as much he was supposed to, or he was achieving and the state cut short his growth, or that some unsound economic policy turned down his business, or one thing or the other, or, or, or he passed on. Your parents, you lost your parents because of road, bad roads, because of uh, medical facilities. And the anger we feel that our personal destinies are somewhat cut short by the state is what drives this anger and this disillusionment. And like the baby Moses, we can feel like the promise of our lives are about to be cut off again because we find ourselves in a depression, we find ourselves in an economic or political climate that we don't, we don't particularly like. But like I was saying, our lives, the, whatever, if you think your life if you think you have generational curses, if you think your life is oppressed, it has nothing on the people of Israel. We have nothing. There's no experience that we have right now today that can compare with what Israel as a nation was going through. And God sent them a deliverer. And when God does his act, when Moses finishes his act of deliverance, we will see whether they came to a place where they were fulfilled. We'll come to a place where they could fulfill their own personal destinies. We'll see whether we can be like them and experience what they experience. So we are a mix of narratives that our families have told us, uh, a lot of promise and a lot of falling short, right? We have families who have lifted up individuals. We have individuals who, you know, sort of have done really well for themselves and not, some who have not done as well. For Abraham, if you think about Israel, they went from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to 70 immigrants, to a multitude of people. So that's a great thing, right? They were growing. They were growing as a nation. But on the other hand, they went from a free nomads to producing a celebrated prime minister of the most powerful nation on the planet to discrimination, abject slavery, and wholesale slaughter of their children. They experienced family growth on the one hand, but also wholesale oppression. And we can relate. I hope a lot of people here can relate with that kind of mixed feeling about where your life is going. And it's not so much that our families uh, or our histories is determined only by uh, uh, what's happening in our country. One of the things we continue to fail to consider, and that happens to Israel too, is that, and again, I'm, I'm talking about people who think in terms of um, generational curses, that something is wrong with our country, that something is wrong with my family, or there's something that is wrong with me. One of the things, the biggest thing we ignore is that our history continues to be complicated by our own personal failures, by our own sins, by repeating sometimes the mistakes of our fathers. It's not so much that your father <laughs> went and did something and is not affecting. It's that you learned from him or you learned from your mother. 
and you live the same way and you continue to tread the same path that they tread. And that's why sometimes we find ourselves in, uh, with a complicated life. And so the hope is that as we consider, as we move forward considering uh, Moses' his life as a deliverer, that we would find where our own personal deliverance can come from. God has made it such that, uh, like Moses, we're not going to be washed down uh, the river as God prevented him also from uh, washing down the Nile. And that takes me to my second point, saved for sending. So Freya's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent her female slave to, uh, to get it and open it. And was crying. She felt sorry for him and says, this is one of the Hebrew babies. We see about three agents of, uh, of deliverance for, for Moses. The first was Freya's daughter. She was a compassionate woman. A compassionate woman who emerges from the house of a wicked king. That's a member of Pharaoh's household. The same person who said they should kill all the babies has someone in their household who recognizes a Hebrew baby and instead of reaching out to kill it, says, I'm going to save it. God raises help in the most unlikely places uh, for, for his people. The second person is Moses' sister Miriam, a devoted girl waiting by, waiting by, just waiting to see what would happen and is wise enough to suggest to the princess that you need, you need help with this child, won't you? Won't you? you need help with this You're a princess. You, you, know, you have the means, but I don't think you know how to raise a Hebrew baby, right? And then the princess asked her to go. Yes, go, she answered. The girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby, nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And so the third person we see, who is an agent of the deliverer, is Moses' mother. A resourceful woman who found a way to save her son because she believed he had the grace of God upon his life and who ends up being paid to raise a son she was about to lose. That is magnificent work of God's grace. And so the house that births uh, oppression also ends up incubating the deliverer that will deliver them from oppression. God uses the enemy's resources to raise Moses. And for us, it seems like sometimes wisdom is needed in our path to protect the people that we love. We are not too young to be wise. Neither are we too old to be resourceful. Let's not fall into the narrative that um, we're limited in any way by, by, by our natural distinctions or our natural uh, abilities or inabilities. God gives us wisdom. God gives us uh, resourcefulness. And so because of these three people, a commoner, a Hebrew boy, becomes a prince. In verse 10, it says, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter. He became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. In Acts 7, 21 talks about this incident. It says, when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So even though he was born into a poor and oppressed race, he became a prince, the adopted son of a mad king. It is, it is the weirdest coincidence, if you, if you think it's a coincidence, right? An illegitimate heir to the throne of Moses. It's also interesting to note that Jochebed raises Moses, the Bible says, until he was weaned. So maybe three to four years, right? You know, I, I, how long did this breastfeed, breastfeed? It's not one year, auntie. <laughs> don't, don't, be, don't be cheating your children. Two years minimum. Strong milk. I, I have no clue. I have no clue. I'm just, I'm just mouthing, right? But somehow, either, either in the period where she raises Moses, or maybe she continues to have some influence in his life, Moses retains his Hebrew identity. 
he retains a strong, not just a strong Hebrew identity, even though he was raised as a prince of Egypt. And identity is a strong thing with us. We often talk about how for our children, for example, the children that we're raising as Christians, um, their economic life is not the most important thing to prepare them for. We often treat as if to raise a child so that he can have a life skill so that they can get a great job and fulfill some uh, academic, economic uh, destiny. We, th we think of it as the most important thing. Not only do we think like that, we act and raise like that. And yet somehow, even as we pray for our children to come to know the Lord, to know Jesus, to put their trust in him, we must make it our primary duty, our primary goal, that our children leave our homes with a Christian identity. With a Christian identity. So for us, and, and, and you can't do that if you don't have that. For us, are you a Christian first before you're a man? Are you a Christian first before you're a woman? Are you a Christian first before you are your tribe? Hausa, Ibo, Yoruba, Ijo, you know, because our names are great. We're great in our land. Is that your primary identity? Are you, are you a Christian before you're a banker? Before you're a businessman? Before you are engineer? Whatever it is that you have sown your life into that has come to define you. You have to be a Christian first. First and foremost. Before you are all those things. And this identity is what gives Moses a strong sense of justice. So that when he sees injustice done uh, to the Hebrew people, he responds. But now a prince becomes a fugitive. Moses' life takes a detour when uh, he's the deliverer, he's the prophet, uh, but he's not prepared. He's a bit rash in how he, uh, he undertakes his ministry, right? In his, in his desire to rise to his destiny, he kills an unjust Egyptian, and, 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 and unfortunately for him, he's rejected as a deliverer by his skin. He, killed, he kills the Egyptian, and he thinks that his, his brothers will accept him as a deliverer. Instead, they reject him. They say, you think you're going to kill us like you killed the other guy? And so he becomes aware that, well, Pharaoh becomes aware of it, and so he runs to Midian, right? He runs to Midian. You know Midian? You know what they say about Midian? You know what they say about Midian? Midian is the Canada of the ancient Middle East. It's where people, okay, bad joke, bad joke. All right, bad joke. <laughs> Canada of the Middle East, right? So he runs to Midian. He helps a damsel in distress, a damsel called a girl, a woman called Zipporah, meets her father, and then marries her as a wife. So he goes from being a prophet in training to being a priest's, uh, priest's son-in-law, right? He married a, priest, a, a pastor's kid or something like that. And then he becomes a son-in-law. He raises a family and starts another. So he lives in Egypt uh, 40 years. He goes to Midian and lives almost another half of his life, right? 40 years. He raises a family. And calls and, 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 has a, and, and has a first son and calls him Gershon, which means foreigner in a foreign land. And that sounds like tautology, right? Foreigner in a foreign land. It, it is a name of, of I won't say desperation or, or longing. He's a stranger in Midian because his people are where? In Egypt. But if he returns to Egypt, he's also a foreigner. He has no land, he has no place, he has no people. It is a double intensive of loneliness, of, of having, having lost his identity because he's not with his people. But at the same time, uh, the king dies. People back home are crying out to God for renewed hope, for deliverance. Uh, much like we pray, like you know, Nigerians, we pray a lot during elections, don't we? When an election comes around, we, we pray. We are full of, we pray during elections. A king dies or the, the tenure comes and we're like, yeah, Lord, God, do this for us, do this for us. 
And then when the, when the elections are over, if our, if, our, if our guy wins, if our guy wins, we enter into blind optimism. Blind optimism. Regardless of any signs, we continue to defend uh, what is indefensible. And if a guy loses, what happens? Depression now. Uh, straight depression. And that's what we, are, we, we, we sort of vacillate between. Blind optimism and depression. But the people cry out to the Lord. God hears their pain. hears their groaning. And it acts on his covenant promises. Right? Moses, in chapter 3 of the same book, Moses encounters uh, God in a bush that's on fire but doesn't burn. God sends him to Pharaoh, tells him to let his people go. Uh, Moses asks about, says, if I go, who will I say sent me? Ask for God's identity. God reveals himself as the I am. He asks him to go back and tell the elders that a deliverer has been raised for them. Moses argues in chapter 4 that he's not fit to be sent, but he's given a miraculous staff and signs to perform and convince his elders. He is sent. He's saved in his birth, and he's sent to do a good work. And much of us, uh, like most of us already know this, and we should know this, that we are called to be sons and daughters of the Most High God, to be part of this community called the church, but not to sit in the church, right? We're also sent out. We're called out from the world. We're graced. We're resourced. We're given all the things that we need to grow as a community, and then we're sent out to go and call people out of that same community. Moses, in spite of all the encouragement, in spite of the revelation, the reminder of promises, has a lot of self-doubt, a lot of self-doubt. And God is going to work with him mightily to ensure that he can do, uh, do his work. And that brings me to my third point, saved by blood. Ultimately, Moses delivers Israel in spectacular fashion. And you can read that from chapters 4 to 7. And, but the process is long. There's a lot of things that happen. First, he returns to, he returns to Jethro, uh, bids him farewell, packs his family, goes back to Egypt. When he goes to Egypt, he goes to the, uh, to the um, leaders. Uh, and then when they see the miracles, the staff and everything uh, turn into blood, they were happy because they learned that the Lord had his eyes on them and he was conscious. So they, they embraced him happily. But when Moses goes with Aaron to go and talk to Pharaoh, there's a big backlash. Pharaoh says, nope, my people are not going. And he says they should go and do more work this time without straw. And what are the people who welcomed him? What is their, what is their, what is their reaction? When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials. And have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So when they saw the miracles, when they saw the signs that God was in the staff, Leprous hand, snake. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. God is with us. God is with us. Right? And then when Pharaoh says, no, you're not going. And then and, and increases their suffering. When suffering comes, what do they say? May God judge you. Sorry, I'm pointing at you. <laughs> not really. <laughs> you're very engaged. <laughs> says, may God judge you. Does that remind us of ourselves when, when we have... Uh, the power of God in our midst, when God is answering our prayers and things are looking good, and your destiny, your destiny is on. Yes, you know, school, we entered, jam, we smashed it. For your know, first work, we got it. We got the work, oil company, we got it. And then something happens. You, you move from oil company to a better oil company, but an indigenous oil company. More money, but indigenous. Yeah? And then two years later, Bafuka. And your friends who told you, are you mad? And they say, ah, something is happening. Right? Whenever, whenever we come to a stumbling block, whenever we have pain in our lives, first thing we say is, you know, you know may the Lord look and judge you. We, we complain. We complain back to God. Moses laments to God. They blame Moses, but Moses laments to God. So why have you brought this trouble on me? 
Um, and then God is faithful to Moses. He reminds us, I'll bring it to the land I saw with uplifted hand. I am the Lord. And then Moses goes and repeats this promise. God gives fantastic promises. God, uh, and then Moses goes and repeats it back to the Israelites. And he said, uh, the Bible records that they wouldn't listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Moses, and then we then see the, you know, the beginning of the ten plagues. Uh, snakes, blood, frogs in chapter 7. Gnats and flies in chapter 8. Livestock, boil, hail in 9. Locusts and darkness in 10. And then in 11 and 12, we see the judgment on the firstborn. At midnight, the avenging angel went through the land of Egypt while the Israelites were eating a Passover meal and killed every single firstborn son in every household. The only people that were spared are those... Right? Who placed the blood of a sacrificial animal on the lintel on the door of their homes? And those were the Hebrews who got the commandments. And so their children were spared. According to the instruction, when the angel sees the blood, he would pass over that house and would not kill. Same night, Pharaoh gets up, asks Moses and Aaron and all Israel, leave the land, and they left with great wealth. And the Bible records about 600,000 men, not counting women and children, left that night. And they had all told them, the fear of, my, of the Lord will be on the people. So when you just go to your neighbor and say, give me your money. Give me your jewelry. I like your necklace. Anything for the boys. <laughs> Says the fear of the Lord will be upon them. And, 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 that's how, and that's how a nation who had been oppressed for 430 years achieved instant wealth. It's not an encouragement to Yahoo. <laughs> it's not. It's supernatural. Instantly, God resources a whole nation in one night, miraculously, and, and delivers them. It's not completely finished. Uh, Pharaoh, they go out. Pharaoh follows them for a while. Uh, Pharaoh for a while, and then uh, he tries to reclaim them. And then, you know, Moses parts the Red Sea. The quintessential miracle we see in the Exodus is the parting of the Red Sea, and the people walked through it. And when 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 uh, Egypt uh, Egyptian army tried to do that, you know, it covered it covered them. We remember the Red Sea as the thing that saved them. We don't remember the blood. Do you remember it's the blood of the redemption? That's where the redemption act actually uh, begins. The judgment on the armies happened at the Red Sea. But they were saved by blood. So now, Israel, 430 years of oppression, delivered. It's over. Destiny begins to happen, right? Right now, we're just free. We're just, we're just, we're flowing, right? Milk and honey is coming up. Eh? Love, community is happening. Worship is going to happen. Learning is going to happen. We're just fantastic, right? That's what happens for 40 days, 40 years in the wilderness. No. No. The oppression is over. The generational curse is over. Abby, the family curse is gone. The whatever it is, Nigeria transformed. We're now, we're now, we're not Canada. We're not going to be Canada. We're going to be better than Canada. Oh yeah, give me a country. Finland. Norway. We, because I love their oil reserves. I like their, I like their, well, yeah, or Singapore. Yeah, we're, we're that now. And now we're going to be cooking, right? We're just, things are just going to be happening for us. Now that we're a great, 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 great country. We're, G, we're in G2. We're in G2 countries. Not G20. Is that the experience? The oppression is over. The external oppression is over. The internal one isn't done. The internal one isn't done. We often think that our lives are terrible because of our environment, because of our family. Why did my parents come back and give birth to me here? Why couldn't my father follow his friend and do that business? Why did he sell his shares in First Bank or GTB? 
that he bought in this. You know, things like, we say those things, we question those things, right? Why couldn't I? Why couldn't I? Why couldn't I? We look at the external. Though they sang the song of Moses in Exodus 15, yet they were yet to sing the song of the lamb that was slain. Moses brings them deliverance from their enemy. The purpose of freeing them from their enemy is so that they could go into the wilderness to do what? To worship the Lord. To free them to worship the Lord. That's why we actually fight against oppression, by the way. That's why we talk about China and, and Iraq and places where Christians are not free. Freedom is something that we should desire and pray for for everyone on this planet. But freedom is not for freedom's sake. God sent Moses to deliver them so they could go into the wilderness and worship him. Moses brought hope to a helpless people, sometimes to a hopeless people. He was a prophet, the very first prophet to speak hope into their situation. But Moses did not deliver them from sin. He didn't. That was, some, that was the job of somebody else. Somebody that we're going to be celebrating for the next three to four weeks. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, says Moses, from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And we understand from scriptures that that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses knows that the greatest enemy is yet to be defeated. The enemy of sin, enemy of death. And Jesus is our last prophet, our last deliverer. It's his birth, when we speak, when we speak of Moses' birth and the other births we'll be talking about, it is his birth that actually speaks to us. It is, it is Jesus' birth that Moses' birth actually speaks to us about, since ultimately he couldn't deliver Israel from their sins. We see so many parallels between Moses and Jesus. Just as he was hidden away in Egypt as a baby for his own protection, uh, when Pharaoh decreed that all Hebrew babies, baby boys would be killed, so Jesus had to run away to Egypt as a baby for his own protection. Moses left his royal throne, uh, royal home, and high position for the sake of his people. He left Pharaoh's palace for the sake of his people. Jesus, the royal son of God, willingly left the glory of heaven to come to earth for the sake of his people. Moses came out of Egypt, spent 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus came out of Egypt, spent 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by Satan. We understand that Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. It was not a covenant that was going to bring life, but it was a covenant that was going to show people the holiness of God and the inability of man to meet up to his holiness so that we would look to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, a covenant of grace. Moses was the deliverer of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery. He redeemed Israelites from their hard taskmasters with the blood of the Passover lamb. Jesus is the deliverer of not only Israel, but also us, the Gentiles. How many people know that they are Gentiles? How many people know that? You know, when you, when you read the Bible, who do, you, who do you think you are? Who do you think? It's, trick, it's tricky. I was shocked when I realized I was, not, I was not the heroes. I was not the good people. I was a Hittite. Amorite. Jebusites. Thank you very much. That's who I am, and that's who we all are. And we should be thankful for that. He came to deliver us from our bondage and our slavery to sin. He has redeemed us, everyone who has put their faith in him, from our own hard taskmaster. Satan, sin, our flesh by his own very blood. And so Jesus gives us hope that if we are dissatisfied with our life, if your life is marked by oppression, if your life is marked by tragedy, 
if it is marked by disappointment, by disillusionment, if your family is still, you, you just don't understand where you're coming from, where you're going. Jesus gives us hope. He brings to us deliverance, the most important form of deliverance, deliverance from our sins. And then he brings hope into our lives so that we don't have to fall into the patterns of bad behavior, of sinful behavior, of mistakes, of disillusionments that our forefathers fell into. He gives us hope. And scripture says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, who is apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, the Bible says, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Let us close our eyes and let us consider Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.